And we welcome you to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I am excited to be able to speak with three gentlemen about what promises to be an absolutely wonderful concert coming up this Saturday evening, uh, 7.30 p.m. Uh, at Ruther High School Auditorium, uh, the Ralph Houghton uh, Performing Arts Center, a concert which is titled Masters of the Romantic. And the concert is going to include uh, music of Beethoven, Mendelssohn, and Max Bruch. And uh, with me uh, for the morning show today, first of all, the man who will be on the podium, Maestro Bob Hasty, Artistic Director of the Kenosha Symphony. Also with us, the guest soloist for the night, violinist Yang Liu, who will be playing Max Bruch's Violin Concerto Number no. 1 in G minor. And also with us is Pete Rodriguez, who is the president of uh, the Kenosha Symphony Board and also uh, a member of the French Horn Section. And uh, we welcome all three of you to the morning show. Really glad that you're here. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Uh, Mr. President, let's begin with you and... Uh, have you briefly sketched uh, what has uh, ensued thus far with this current season of the Kenosha Symphony, which is about to finish up this Saturday night? Sure, yes. Uh, I'm excited that we're able to present our final concert of the season, and uh, we are proud that we've done some great things this year. Um, one casualty, unfortunately, is we usually do youth concerts in May, but uh, because of budget, we weren't able to do that this time. But um, we're planning next season, and I'm proud to say that the plan is to do youth concerts next year. So this was a temporary blip. But, yes, very excited to have uh, Young Lou returning with us. I know you played with us, I believe it was right around the time of COVID start. We're in 2020, right? Right. Uh, or so. And, and we did a concert with no... Um, or not much of an audience present, I remember, and we streamed that for free for the Kenosha community. So that, of course, came at a considerable cost for the orchestra, but very glad for you to be able to come back to us and do an in-person concert. Well, thanks for having me, and I really look forward to play without a mask. You know, last time <laughs> yes. uh, I was playing with a mask, um, uh, I forgot one thing, to practice with a mask. Mm. So on the stage, the mask just kept pushing upwards and getting my eyes. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah, I think most of us would not think about being a complication. Maybe if you're a flutist or a trumpet player, but we wouldn't immediately think that a violinist would face some issues. Well, we're uh, glad you managed to uh, play brilliantly nonetheless, and we're glad you can be without mask for the concert on, on Saturday evening. Uh, before we meet you and, and talk about your presence, I want to talk to Maestro uh, Robert Hasty about the putting together of this concert, uh, again titled Masters of the Romantic. Uh, tell us what went through your mind in choosing this particular repertoire and giving it this title. Well, when we start with uh, when the when the board is uh, um, is it allows me to invite a soloist uh, because soloists, uh, of course, uh, they are professional and we want to pay them accordingly. So we uh, I ask the board what I can have uh, in terms of a soloist. And so the first step to planning a lot of these programs is to invite the soloist. And then the soloist and I will agree on a piece. In this case, um, the, to go a little bit more in depth to the background of that COVID season, of the 2021 season, 
The original plan in the fall of 2020 was to do to to celebrate Beethoven's uh, anniversary of his birth, his 250th anniversary of his birth. And so we had already contracted uh, Young to come and perform the Beethoven Violin Concerto in that fall concert, in that October concert. Then, of course, uh, we all know what happened uh, that year. And we, the board and I had to come up with a way of, are we going to cancel the season or are we going to uh, continue it in some way? So the board invested in the highest technology. So you can actually go on to YouTube and see that concert uh, that uh, uh, Young Lu and I uh, were able to put together. Um, for that first one, which um, ironically also happened right after some of the social unrest. Um, so we have a lot of important memories of, of that time. So when that concert was canceled, I said, I, I called Young up and I, I basically said, obviously, we're not going to be able to work together. We're not sure what we're going to do. And I believe I since the board and I still hadn't decided until maybe a month before what we were going to do, I was, a, uh, and then when we decided to do it, I said, can I have a, a soloist? And they said, yes, of course. So I uh, reached out to Young Lu. I, th I think Young, I may, may have only called you maybe two or three weeks before uh, that yeah. concert, because we were really throwing things together at the last minute. And uh, and I just said, but we only have string orchestra, <laughs> and we we even discussed because his wife is uh, is a world class pianist, Olivia, and we even talked about perhaps doing the Mendelssohn D minor double concerto. But the hall that we were in, uh, the piano was not that great, so we decided to just go with two violin pieces by Schubert uh, that uh, Young suggested. We did the Rondo and the Polonaise, and then I promised. I promised my friend Young that, because uh, we had worked together before, that when we get back to having full orchestra again, that um, that he will, we will schedule a time uh, for him when he's available to come and perform with the symphony. So this was the date that we selected. This was the date here uh, uh, in May, and um, and then he's the one who suggested. Uh, the Bruch Violin Concerto. I can't remember. Maybe you also suggested some other pieces, but we selected that one. Uh, that that will put the Bruch Violin Concerto as the most frequently performed piece that I have ever that I have done with Kenosha. This will be number three. Um, but that kind of goes with with the fact that uh, classical radio often calls this piece um, Max Bruch's one hit wonder <laughs> because. <laughs> Um, there was, and, and it was probably, and it was the most popular piece on classical radio, uh, the most popular and the most frequently performed piece on radio. So I guess it makes sense that it's the most frequently performed piece that I have done with the Kenosha Symphony, including my very first concert about 10 years ago with the wow. Kenosha Symphony. This was performed and it has person. And the reason why I did it back then is because it has personal meaning for me. It was my audition piece for, uh, to get into the USC symphony when I was an undergrad. So as a violinist, I played this, um, when I, when I, uh, hear auditions, uh, for, uh, school orchestras, this is probably one of the top 
uh, most frequently auditioned pieces when, when students come and play for me. So I know it very well. Uh, I also have some bad memories because I remember getting all the triple stops wrong in my audition <laughs> in, in the, um, on the second page of, of this piece. But um, so once uh, we agreed on this date and we picked the piece, then I picked the rest of the program. And um, I have not done a Mendelssohn symphony with uh, Kenosha symphony uh, before. And I thought it was going to be time to do that. And the, uh, the third symphony um, is actually the same instrumentation, exact same instrumentation as the violin concerto by Bruch and Egmont, Beethoven Egmont, uh, which we were also going to do on that, um, that canceled program of the COVID season. Um, that uh, this one also is the exact same instrumentation. It's, so all three pieces have timpani, two trumpets, four horns, and pairs of woodwinds and strings. So it works out very well. Um, and uh, I believe perfectly constructed program. Um, and I believe that the audiences are going to be absolutely thrilled when they um, hear Young play. Young is actually uh, also before I was music director. He has actually soloed with the Kenosha Symphony uh, before under um, one of the preceding uh, music directors here. So this is not his first visit to Kenosha. It's not even his second visit to Kenosha. Mm -hmm. So we're so grateful. He's a world-class violinist. Uh, I believe, uh, what was the award you won last year, um, Young, uh, uh, over uh, in Europe? In your oh, I, uh, I won a Medici award, uh, a gold medal of Medici International Musician Award. Yeah. So. So recognized soloist, he and I also were were um, um, uh, part of the staff and and uh, artists uh, at, uh, at a festival in Brazil last January. So he and I are colleagues and friends, and I'm so grateful we get to put this program together. Fantastic. For those of you just joining us, we are talking about the next concert of the Kenosha Symphony Orchestra, which will be this Saturday evening, May 6th, 7.30 p.m. in the Ruther High School Auditorium, the Ralph Houghton Performing Arts Center, a concert called Masters of the Romantic, featuring the Beethoven Egmont Overture, the Mendelssohn, uh, I think it's the third symphony, isn't it? That's the Scottish or Scotch symphony. And then Max Brooks' uh, Violin Concerto Number no. 1 in G minor, uh, for which... Uh, Violinist Yang Liu uh, will be the soloist again, returning uh, to the Kenosha Symphony, uh, and uh, we are thrilled to have him back. And Pete Rodriguez, who is president of the Kenosha Symphony Board, is uh, is with us as well for this interview. Uh, Yang Liu, uh, let's find out a little bit about your life. Uh, my understanding is uh, you moved to the United States 25 years ago, so this is kind of an anniversary for you in terms of the United States being your home. Tell us uh, about your life uh, before 1998, before coming to America. Yeah, I, I uh, well, it's quite a bit uh, history. I came for, uh, to the United States. Uh, from China, but prior to this time, I spent a couple of years in Europe uh, wandering around. I played a lot of concerts in Europe while I was in school. And I was in Beijing. I attended the Central Conservatory of Music. However, I did not go there just for the college. I was there uh, since I was uh, eight-year-old, almost nine-year-old. 
I attended the uh, preparatory school uh, and uh, all the way up, spent about 14 years in that one chamber. Uh, this is in Beijing. And, uh, and before that, I studied violin in Qingdao, which is my hometown. Um, and, and, and it really was quite a calling because where we lived, I was about four year old. Where we lived is right behind a metal manufactured factory, a metal cutting factory where they cut the metal sheets. And uh, that factory did not cut metals inside of a workshop with soundproof. They cut right outside. <laughs> uh, yes, open air. <clears throat> and for all the children, for all of us, all day long, and that was my growing up environment. The only thing I hear after school or before I went to school is the metal cutting. And uh, when they, you know, everyone went half deaf and all the neighborhood. So you could imagine, you know, uh, tons of machines cutting metals all at the same time. People had to, even when we speak in our own house, we have to yell a little bit. Uh, that was the environment. But however, when the factory stops uh, right around 5 p.m. or so, uh, in the evening, there is always this little sound you know, coming to my ear. And uh, I asked other kids, they, no one really cared much. And then later I found out it was one of our neighbors who uh, <clears throat> was around 20 year old, uh, a young lady who had affection for violin. And uh, she was practicing violin in her own apartment with blankets over the windows and doors, uh, not to block the light, but to block the sound. Uh, hmm. It was not quite, although it was in uh, 1979, 1980, but it was soon after the uh, Cultural Revolution, the 10 years Cultural Revolution. And she was being extra cautious. So she didn't want anyone to know that she was uh, practicing a Western instrument, Western music. That was during the Cultural Revolution was forbidden. And people uh, sacrificed their lives, and people died for the for the same reason. To uh, uh, so, but that was my very first inspiration. And I thought, after all day of hearing the metal cutting, scorching, screaming machine uh, machinery sound, and that little sound was uh, it, it touched my soul. And I I asked my mother for. I said, you know, whatever makes that sound, I want a toy like that. Um, and my mother told me it's not a toy. It's called a violin. It, it's it's not a toy. It's something you have to study. You practice. It's very difficult. Our country is not quite allowing it yet, especially for our family. We were. Um, my grandfather was a uh, um, businessman. Did not have a good relationship with the communists. So, um, so our family was 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 on the blacklist. So for me to study the violin was a pretty scary thing. Hmm. But I just, I kept crying for, for a couple of months. Eventually my grandma told my parents, said for Christ's sake, you know, just buy this young boy that whatever that thing called, you know, get him a violin. And uh, so I received my first violin uh, when I was almost five. 
then uh, I took it and I started, you know, uh, messing around with it. And I told my mother, before my fifth birthday, I told my mother, I said, this is something I want to do all my life. I don't mm. want to do anything else. And yeah. of course, she took it as a joke, but then everything started mm. from there. I'm curious, uh, did you ever f- at any point in time fall out of love with the violin or once you began really seriously pursuing it, has it been, in a sense, an unbroken, uninterrupted romance between the two of you, you and the violin? Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, quite a few times, actually. Not long after, um, I uh, I got into Central Conservatory. After about two years of study, I, I, I was accepted into Central Conservatory, but then the study was very hard. And the education environment then in China was, it is unimaginable for American nowadays. Because uh, we, uh, we got beat up. That's how we were educated. We got beat up by the parents. Uh, you know, even the teacher would, uh, would beat you up. For instance, if I play a wrong note or out of tune, something, you know, my teacher would say, put your violin down and I put my violin down. It would be a smack on the head or a twist on the ear. So, yeah. I mean, naturally, any six, seven, eight-year-old would just hate this thing. But I did not hate it enough to stop. I always pick it up next day. Um, and then the, when you attend Central Conservatory, they, they, we have a little practice room uh, with a little window on the door. So the teachers will lock the door, and they will monitor you through this little window to see if you're practicing. And every hour, <laughs> you get a chance to use the voice room, and it was—it's unimaginable nowadays. Mm. But that's how we grew up. And uh, and another time was when I was a teenager. I won a, I won the first prize in the China national competition. Um, that was another time. I I didn't know what else to do, so um, I spent a lot of time in bars with friends, uh, playing billiards. Uh, you know, until I was about 19 or 20 or so, I fell in love with it again. Hmm. And I came to the United States. Um, so there are many, many things in my life that uh, stimulated me, inspired me, and also uh, demoralized me. Uh, I think as anyone else, yeah, it's been in and out. Um, but I love it again, and I love it now. Um, and then there's another time I think it's very worthy of mentioning. I was serving, um, that was almost 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I was uh, on a faculty list, faculty member of uh, Roosevelt University, the, uh, the CCPA. I was a professor in a, a CCM, Cincinnati Conservatory. And also I served as a chairman in the string department in Columbia College in Chicago. All three positions and... Uh, I played quite a big concert, 30, 40 concerts a year. Uh, I must say, after a couple of years, it was another down moment. It made me think, what really do I want to do with my life? And what really do I want to do with the violin? Because after all that much amount of teaching, um, you know, you just you don't get much energy and enthusiasm for the instrument. And for one year... Um, I decided to stop all of them, so I so I did. 
I stopped, I stopped all teaching for about three, four years and got reacquainted with the instrument and, uh, you know, re-engaged and uh, we are here again. Yeah. Wow. That's quite a story. Uh, tell us about the decision to come to the United States 25 years ago and uh, what was behind that decision and was it a hard decision? I mean, was it a painful thing to, to undertake? Uh, to be honest, the decision was not mine. Till today, I still, from time to time, I wonder, um, why am I here? What am I doing here? Uh, from time to time, because uh, before I came to the United States, as I said, I spent a couple of years wandering around in Europe. Uh, that was for due to one thing is I think I've hit a artistic bottleneck, art, artistic wall, where I felt you know I I won uh, some competitions, the national first prize. I won some other competitions. I was I was playing a lot of concerts, and I could play anything else, um, anything I wanted. Uh, I did concert with Paganini Twenty Four Caprices. Um, you know, it, it, as a teenager, I was about 18, 18, you were right around 18 year old or so. It was difficult to, to find a higher purpose or, or a higher meaning in music and in life. Then it was my teacher and my father suggested me, said, you know, go to America. Um, maybe you can find something more there. Uh, cause, uh, I was wandering around in Europe and come back to China, play some concerts. Uh, I did not have fun. Although, as a violinist, playing concerts supposed to be, you know, the best thing in your life, you know. You just, but no, I had a very difficult time. Uh, I did not like it all that much, and it, and violin and the music did not really uh, speak that much to me. So I just followed their suggestion. Uh, and uh, came to the United States. However, I was extremely lucky. I came, I was accepted in a, a few schools. And then I uh, went to Cincinnati because they provide a very uh, a handsome amount of uh, stipend. So I didn't have to work. So I went to Cincinnati. Um, but then the pain came after, um, you know, extraordinary amount of nostalgia kicked in. So I spent quite a few years then wondering again, what am I doing in the middle of America, a city called Cincinnati? You know, when I have all kinds of concerts in Beijing, in China, and, and um, but once again, now I look back, uh, it opened up so much of my view, uh, opened my, my eyes, my doors, everything. You know, to be honest, I don't know exactly how to answer a question, but life is such a complex and mysterious journey. For me, it's it never really went as um, I thought it's going to go, or as anyone else's trajectory uh, line or view. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Maestro Hasty, tell us about your first encounter with uh, Yang Liu. Uh, you make, make it sound like you have been friends and colleagues for some time now. Well, we first met uh, when we, uh, 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 he was uh, contracted to perform with the Highland Park Strings. 
And I believe we did the Beethoven Violin Concerto there. That was probably about five years ago. And, um, and then we it worked out really, really well. And so I knew that when I wanted to do Beethoven Kenosha, he was my first call. And so, but since then, we've been able to collaborate. Like I said, we've been able to, uh, to work together uh, internationally. And this is just another chapter in my collaboration with Young. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there will be many more. Yang Liu, uh, tell us about uh, the times before this that you have performed uh, with the Kenosha Symphony. I'm curious about the past collaborations. Yeah, I, I uh, besides the one in pandemic, I played with uh, uh, Maestro Miriam Burns. That's I, I believe that's about 17, 18 years ago. We did a Beethoven concerto. Uh, yes, we, we did Beethoven concerto. Um, it was uh, introduced by my previous, I mean, three previous, three times previous agent to Miriam Burns. Um, it was very well received. Um, and then the next year, uh, she called me again. She said, uh, our pianist had an injury, uh, so we need somebody to play the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto. I think it was supposed to play the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto. It was uh, so the pianist had an injury, and uh, I don't play the Tchaikovsky piano concerto, but I do <laughs> play the Tchaikovsky violin concerto. So, uh, and it was twenty-four hour notice, and we we did that. Uh, and luckily, it was in my hand, um, and that was a great, great experience. I yeah. remember. Yeah. So th- that was the two times I played with the Kenosha Symphony. I don't happen to recall that first performance. I don't remember if I was there or not, but I do very much remember the the, the, the second and uh, the dramatic riding to the rescue that you were doing on behalf of the Kenosha Symphony. That's uh, the kind of thing that's not not easily forgotten. And uh, it is fantastic to have you back for this particular performance coming up this Saturday night. Uh, tell us about your history with the Max Bruck Violin Concerto uh, Number no. One, and uh, what you especially enjoy about playing it. I have to say, it's such a beautiful concerto. First of all, uh, there, there's always a rumor about this concerto that it is this, the smaller version of Brahms' concerto. Uh, I like to debunk this little rumor that's been flowing in between the musicians because the Bruck Concerto was composed in 1866. And 12 years later, the Brahms concerto was born. So if anything, it would be the other way around. Uh, I think this concerto, the beauty of this concerto uh, is so broad that you love it when you're a teenager. I played it when I was, uh, I think before I was 20. You love it when you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. Now I'm pushing my 50s. I still love it in very, very different ways it's it's such a beauty that every time you you come to see this concerto you 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 discover new things um but then it's not what max brook <laughs> felt he hated people loved his only first concerto he always complained all his life he struggled and frustrated so much about his second and third concerto are not performed as frequent and people only love the first one I hope one day 
we will have a chance to perform his you know second or third concerto but the first one is really such a beauty um you would fall in love with it regardless um the phase of your life regardless your understanding i think it possess uh, it's a unique one where the second movement holds the most of the weight of the concerto but then the third movement give, portrays such a joyful joyful uh finishing so uh, yeah i love it always and i've played it many many times never got tired of it that's probably one of the highest compliments you can pay to a piece of music is to live with it for years and years and years and uh, and to find it sort of ever fresh and ever new. Uh, Maestro Hasty, what are the challenges uh, to you and the orchestra in terms of putting a work like this together with soloist Yang Liu? Well, first of all, the fact that I'm a violinist and have and played this, but not nearly as well as Young Lu. I'm, uh, after doing so many of the concertos uh, with various orchestras, uh, I'm able to predict, I'm able to see what the soloist needs. Um, uh, as a violinist, I'm able to relate a lot to what my soloist is doing. I think with this particular piece, it also helps, and maybe one of the relationships to Brahms that Young was talking about is that the, the most important violinist at the time who influenced the Brahms concerto, uh, Joseph Joachim, he actually, in the revision of this concerto, he's the one who assisted with the revision. So hmm. the, uh, almost anything that Joachim was associated with sits very, very natural in the left hand and, and it just works very, very well, which is one of the reasons why violinists love coming back to it. The same thing with the Brahms concerto because of that influence. And Joachim had that relationship with Brahms and Schumann, both Schumanns and uh, as well as uh, Bruch. But but the, uh, the biggest challenge to any concerto is the fact that when I'm conducting the symphony, the set, I'm all my gestures are in advance of the sound. But when you're accompanying somebody who is um, a soloist, you're following the soloist, but you also have to predict in such a way so that the orchestra is following you. So it's a three-way collaboration. So one of the things that I really have enjoyed with the Kenosha Symphony, being all professional musicians, is that they see themselves as an uh, equal role as accompanist. So I count on them to listen to the soloist as well. Uh, but for me, uh, it's really uh, conducting a concerto is one of the most challenging parts about a conductor because you are <laughs> you're following a soloist, but the orchestra is following me at the same time. So if my gestures are in advance of the orchestral sound, then how does how do you navigate that by timing with the soloist? So you really do. I encourage uh, the musicians to be equal listeners to the soloist when they do any concerto. Hmm. I'm so glad you said that because I, I was already going to ask Pete Rodriguez, as someone who plays French horn in the orchestra, what in general is the experience when you are playing and there's this other element on the stage, namely a, a soloist like violinist Yang Liu. Do you get to have any sort of awareness of that or is there just 
too much going on uh, for you to enjoy the soloist and his work the way uh, we get to in the audience? I mean, I think it's a little of both. I mean, as one of the only brass players, I think Bob mentioned there are two trumpets, but there are four horns. And we have to be very sensitive when we have a soloist on the stage so that we don't overplay. And I think that's a big part of it is just making sure that you're in the balance of the orchestra, right, when you're in a smaller group like that. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly a pleasure. I know a few years ago I got to play – I'm not playing this concert, but I got to play with Frank Allman, who played – um, or does play, I think, concertmaster for the Milwaukee Symphony, and we did, um, I believe it was the Brahms, <laughs> keep me honest, Bob. Uh, but yeah, that was a great experience, so that was, I think, the last time I got to play with the violin soloist hmm. myself. So the Brook Violin Concerto Number no. 1 in G minor is part of Saturday night's concert, so Young Liu, how many rehearsals will you have with the symphony and Maestro Hasty before the performance occurs? As many as there I, I can get. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be depending on uh, our maestro. Oh, you can come to any rehearsals you want. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, I I have this time I touched this concerto. Uh, I changed a lot of fingerings, bow wings. Uh, I think it would be easier to work with orchestra now, um, but for for uh to expand a little bit on your uh, previous question uh, when one experiences a different stage of life of course you you see things differently you uh you know you play differently that's why it changed a lot of finger rings and bowings and i find uh, you know in this concerto the, mo- the both masculinity and the feminine elements are uh, more integrated and uh, you see them uh in, in, in a more broad angles, I really look forward uh, and uh, I'm willing to find out, I want to find out, I look forward to find out how would it work with orchestra and conductor because um, it's almost like a new work for me now. I, I change a lot of fingerings and bowings to, uh, yeah, to, to, uh, to accommodate my current understanding. Hmm. I want to mention that you and your uh, wife, Olivia, has, has been mentioned, a wonderful pianist with whom you perform a great deal. Uh, you live in Chicago with, I think you have two sons. Uh, just tell us about uh, what Chicago is, is like as your base of operation, so to speak, and uh, what you like about living there. Uh, generally, I, there are lots of likes and uh, some pros and cons. And we live about, without traffic, 25 to 30 minutes outskirt of Chicago um, mm. to the west side, west south side. And it's quiet and nice. Um, as the culture goes, it's very, very convenient. I'm a big, big painting lover. I, I, I love to go to the Art Institute, uh, although I haven't been there for a while for quite a few reasons. Uh, However, the winter is very difficult for me. Uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's an age thing. You know, when you get older, it's even harder to deal with the five, six months long of gloomy skies. And that's why, uh, you know, I go to Brazil every January. I, you know, it redeems me for a couple of weeks. Um, but other than that, I, for the, for the sake of the winter, we plan to, to leave Chicago many years, but yet we couldn't 
really leave. We couldn't really relocate. I think that says a lot. Mm. We've been talking about it for the past 10 years. Um, says this is the last winter I'm going to stay here, you know, uh, and then yet we're still here. <laughs> there you go. And among your two sons, are either of them musicians and or violinists? Uh, they both play a little bit of piano. The older one is more into piano. However, um, my wife gave him lessons only when he asks uh, because he has his own way to learn. And amazingly, he played very good pop music, some jazz, and he learned strictly from YouTube, not from his own mother. And he played very well, and he sings. Uh, so we've, you know, we... We uh, we come to term that it's a different time. It's a different world, different time. Uh, they have their uh, source of information. And they have their source of learning environment. So we're not really pushing it very hard. Uh, but other than music, they both wrestle very well. They love wrestling. So you know, we thought that's that's great too. Very good. Well, I know all kinds of people are excited about this concert coming up, Masters of the Romantic, which will feature music of Max Bruch with the Violin Concerto Number no. 1 in G minor, and of course the great works of Beethoven and Mendelssohn as well, the Egmont Overture and the Scottish Orchestra. Maestro, we don't have a lot of time, but can you briefly describe what makes these two works so special? centerpiece of course will be the Mendelssohn symphony it's called the third symphony it's also called uh, the scottish symphony but it actually is his final symphony it's just kind of uh, interesting how symphonies get numbered uh, over time but this was the last uh, symphony that he completed he also went in letters to his family the first time he visited uh, britain back in 1829, he did write some letters and maybe the opening theme when he was uh, traveling, he, he visited where Mary was crowned uh, Queen of Scotland. And so he talked about that inspiration uh, as he was traveling. But then he put the piece away and about 13 years later, he came back to it, never mentioned any references to Scotland, uh, but, and it was after it was published that because of those letters that he wrote to his family it's called uh the scottish however there is definitely inspiration the finale is derived from a scottish dance the 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 way that the piece ends in a major is almost like a scottish hymn so um so you can definitely hear some influence even though he kind of discarded that but publishers still call it scottish they still call it the third symphony even though it's actually the fifth <laughs> symphony um, also important to know that that same trip, that was when he got inspired for the Fingal's Cave Overture, uh, the Hebrides, which is probably one of his most famous works. Uh, with Egmont Overture, they think that, whoa, there must be an opera called Egmont. But no, there is no opera. This was a play uh, <laughs> written by the uh, Johann Goethe, and uh, it was incidental music. So there was a play going on, and he wrote this overture to precede the play, uh, uh, the fan of this playwright. Um, and uh, this was about two years after he wrote his fifth symphony in C minor. And, uh, and then he wrote a lot of incidental music to go along with the play, probably the way that we, uh, you know, we view mu movies and TV right now, the way that music was kind of background or underscore or between scenes. And that's what this piece was. So there is no opera called Egmont that Beethoven wrote. This was simply incidental music, and I believe it is a definitely 
part of his what Goethe called Sturm und Drang and that important romantic period of composition. Fantastic. Yes, from the from the looks of it, it's a just a perfectly constructed program, and there's so much uh, uh, that uh, people are going to enjoy, I'm sure, about Saturday night's concert. Pete Rodriguez, um, anything you want to tell our listeners in terms of attending the concert, getting tickets, or anything else they need to know? Sure. Uh, you can get tickets ahead of time at KenoshaSymphony.org. Uh, the tickets are $30 um, for adults and for uh, students, and that includes college students. They are free, so uh, that is definitely a great deal for them. Um, as you mentioned, we're at Ruther High School, and you can also buy tickets at the door if you prefer. There is no difference in price there. Um, but yes, looking forward to seeing everyone at the concert on May 6th. Saturday evening, May 6th, 7.30, Masters of the Romantic. And uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us to uh, talk about the concert. Pete Rodriguez, Maestro Bob Hasty, and violin soloist Yang Liu. It was great to speak with all of you. Yeah, and one more yes. little thing is I'll be using the uh, uh, Stradivari, uh, not the Stradivari, uh, which one am I playing? The Guarnerius. <laughs> the 1741 Guarnerius. Wonderful, wonderful ballet. It's like a sweet, dark chocolate. Mm. Uh, and it's on a generous loan by the Stradivari Society. So an ancient and gorgeous violin that you will be playing Saturday night. Something else for us to look forward to. Thanks again for joining us today on The Morning Show. Thank you, Craig. And to finish out today's program, let's sample the three works that are going to be featured on this weekend's concert by the Kenosha Symphony Orchestra. And let's begin by enjoying the exciting and energetic final measures of Beethoven's Egmont Overture, his Opus 85. This recording features the Hanover Band under the direction of Roy Goodman. Music from Beethoven's Egmont Overture. The concerto to be featured on this concert is the incomparably lovely violin concerto number one of Max Bruch. And here is the opening to the exquisite second movement. This is a recording by the great Yasha Heifetz.
What a treat it will be to hear this lovely work, the violin concerto number one of Max Bruch. And to finish out Saturday evening's concert, it will be the Symphony Number no. 3 in A minor, Opus 56, the so-called Scottish Symphony by Felix Mendelssohn. Let's enjoy the final portion of the final movement played by the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra under David Zinman. Again, you have the chance to hear the Kenosha Symphony under Robert Hasty this Saturday evening, along with guest soloist Yang Liu. Ticket information available to you at kenoshasymphony.org. I'm Gregory Berg. 